birthday card. I'm repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Wish I knew how Queens is it? I'm gay. You can't love yourself. How in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Gay card revoked. Hi, I'm Robbie Roselle, and my pronouns are he, him. My name is Rob Schneider, and my pronouns are he, him, and welcome to Gay Card Revoked. You know, it's so funny. When you were saying your introduction, I was so ready to go, my name is Robbie Roselle. Well, and like it to, should be. Like, to tell the truth. Remember to tell the, you know. Yes, I just saw the, the, the Rosa Parks oh, yeah. thing, uh, like that clip on, I don't know, something. Uh, anyway. I love, to tell, all, <laughs> I love to tell the truth. That's all. I love old game shows. Continue on. You, do, you really do. Um, first of all, happy birthday. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. 25 was a, was a great year. 1925? <clears throat> 1925. It was. That was the Vintage. year. No, no, no. That came out for, <laughs> for our listeners. Yes. No, God thank bless. you. Thank you. I, I turned a uh, lovely 38. Which and means... you, you got doubly vaccinated. So... I, you know, I did. I'm a lucky, lucky person. Uh, I'm a school teacher and I was able to get the vaccination for that. And uh, folks, if you take Moderna, your first shot will probably do nothing to you. Just a warning shot. Number two will lay you up for a little bit. But I was happy I was laid up for a little bit because it gave me a chance to dive into something, Robbie, which I I have never seen before. And I know that when we first started this podcast, it was something that I know you really wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. It was something you kept mentioning. And I have never uh, read the book. I, I had not seen the television show until the past couple of days, and that is Amistad Maupin's. I hope I said that name right. Maupin. Oh, I was going to I think maybe I'm thinking of Marzipan. Uh, I, I'm always thinking of Marzipan, <laughs> to be very honest. <laughs> you know what? At this day and age, who can blame us? Uh, Tales, of the, Tales of the City, right? Tales of the City. Sometimes I want to say Tales from the City, and I'm thinking of Tales from the Crypt, and I sure. know that's not it. Tale of Two Cities. Tale of Two Cities. Right. Oh, when I was in eighth grade, um, mm-hmm. total tangent for a second, but when I was in eighth grade, my English teacher was going through a very messy divorce, and we were reading Tale of Two Cities the entire two semesters, and he just kept showing the movie over and over. Uh, and making us read the book over and over. And I don't know if that was some kind of revenge porn for him because of the guillotine. I'm unclear. But Mr. Downs, who's probably dead by now, uh, was definitely going through it when I was in eighth grade. Robbie, I think, also gave the memorial speech at Mr. Downs' way. That was actually, yeah. <laughs> was it's, that um, and then I did just did Rose's eulogy that she gives on the plane of Golden Girls. Uh, because she's scared of speaking in front of crowds. <laughs> How dare you? Can I? I'm not anyway, going to. Tales of the city. I'm not going to try to top you on that story. But may I? If tell I had you, a nickel, may, <laughs> you'd have ten cents. Uh, may I tell you the story of uh, my awkward high school divorce? If I, not mine, um, <laughs> which made it Please. awkward. Yeah, um, weird. When I was in high school, I went to a driving school to learn how to drive. And the driving instructor was taking me down suburban streets and was like, okay, make a left here. She goes, make a left there. Now make a right here. And we were on some suburban street and she goes, okay, do you see where it says three, four, five, six, pull into that driveway. And I was like, this is okay. I pulled in. She goes, I'll be right back. And she went inside for 20 minutes and came back with two suitcases. She had left her husband and went to go pick up her stuff. And she got back in the car. She said, life is hard. We're going to Burger King. And we just sat in the Burger King parking lot. And that was I mean, one of my driving lessons. Life is hard. We're going to Burger King. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> you ran with that mantra for I, 38 for, years. And I swear to God, that's a true story. Okay, so, <laughs> ta- ta- sorry, Tales of the City. Yes, yeah, something. Tales of the City. I, was ne- I had never seen until uh, you brought it to my attention. I was aware of it. So let me ask you, Robbie, if I can. Today, my card might be revoked. I'm going to play student if you can play teacher for me. Tell oh me God. about when did you first encounter this wonderful, wonderful thing? And did you encounter the book first or the movie first? Book first. Uh, So I was living in uh, Tallahassee, Florida for a little bit, uh, doing theater and uh, generally just hating life and hating humidity. And 
I'm so sorry to, to interrupt yeah. you. In all the years I've known you, I have never known that. You lived in Tallahassee, Florida? I have lived all over this great land of ours, somehow usually in red states I um, okay. as a self-hating person. I had no idea about any of this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Continue on. This will be for another time. I apologize. No, it's fine. Uh, so uh, I was down there, and uh, my boyfriend at the time uh, handed me the first wait, book. Wait, wait. I'm so sorry to interrupt again. You're gay? A little bit. Oh my god! Just I'm the tip. So much. Conti- I know. Continue on. Sorry. Thanks. I mean, listen. I'll bottom for for a vaccine. I'm with, like stick it in and stick it in. Like jab me and jab me. I don't care. At I'm the right. jab it's. Yeah. Yes. At the jab it's. Am I right, <laughs> ladies? I just want to be one of those '80s lesbian stand-up comedians who all had mullets and were standing in front of brick. <laughs> <laughs> it's so niche. Just, it's just, so niche. I'm sorry. In a, in a vest. <laughs> it's a very specific. Rosie O'Donnell will host me on Stand Up Spotlight. <laughs> I go to the grocery store. My favorite aisle is melons. Am I right, ladies? <laughs> sorry, continue on. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> you were in Tallahassee. You were ha- not having a good this time. Episode. You're, I'm right. keeping it so all. In. Your boyfriend. <laughs> the, <laughs> my boyfriend at the time, um, who is now married to a very uh, big uh, Twitter gay, um, handed me this book and said, "Here, you will really like this." I think. And I read the first book in a day and a half. It was such a, a, an engrossing read, but also every it, it it was written almost like a Patterson, like every three pages is a new chapter. And that's because it, it's, it started its life as a newspaper serial. So like each um, chapter is like w- one newspaper article. So like every day he would have like a new piece published. And that's how he built this book. It started as this newspaper serial. There were nine books now, but there were a core set of six books, right? Tales of the City, more Tales of the City, further Tales of the City. Then he deviates from the title uh, and goes to Baby Cake, Significant Others, Sure of You. And those were all written from 78 to 89. And that was like supposed to be a definitive stop. And And because I have not read these books, Robbie, Mm -hmm. Is he following yep. the same characters? Okay, yes. so it's not like the apartment is the central location and we get different tenants coming in and out. We're following Some, the same. Okay, but, sometimes. But overall, but like Marianne is always there. Dee Dee is always there. Uh, Mouse is always there. Uh, sweet Michael Tolliver. So it sort of follows their life. And what's fascinating about the books is that um, people that you love at the beginning, you do not everybody goes through some kind of change and you are not rooting for the people you expect to root mm. for at the beginning of the series. You, you read about an entire world in which people could live the way they wanted to and live mm-hmm. freely. How did that book then inspire you going forward with your life? Because it came to you at a pretty young age. Yeah. I, because it was such a, um, such a, uh, I think it was the first major piece of queer fiction that I've read. Um, and it it uh, really taught me to just live loudly uh, within my queerness. And the book is a tapestry of so many different characters. Mm-hmm. Was there a character that you found yourself identifying with more than any of the other characters? Uh, Mouse, I think. Uh, Michael Tolliver, who I think just about every gay man that's who they're going to connect to. Even though, I again, I feel like it's very much written for the outside uh, people looking in. They're all taking it in through Marianne's gaze. Uh, it's For me, it's Mouse's story, my, Michael Tolliver's story. And why, um, why do you think that uh, Maupin, as a, as a gay man, decided to set it through the eyes of a straight woman? I think that uh, stories work best with an outsider looking in. That That's the plot of every musical, right? An outsider appears and things change. Or like um, even the terrible film Cats, Victoria is the outside cat who is taking it all in and we are seeing it all through her eyes. Um, I You need that 
person to like sort of take you through it. Same thing with like the film Titanic, Jack and Rose, right? They could have made the film about every historical person on that ship, but it would not have resonated unless there was somebody, uh, in this case, Jack, uh, who is uh, our eyes and seeing the world. It's weirdly, it's both Jack and Rose, I guess, who uh, were seeing it through both of their eyes because she's, you know, rich and uh, we're seeing it through her experience, but also his third class, whatever. I'm definitely gone on a Titanic tangent. Um, and you're welcome, listener. Um, there were no gays on the Titanic. It's a historical fact. Uh, <laughs> So, so I fell in love with the book and I read all, he had all six and I read them all in the space of seven days. So it had such a profound. It really did. And I read them you. every year. You, really you go back, you revisit it every year. Okay. I truly do. So um, this book also is being written before the AIDS crisis hits uh, yeah. the, the United States. And so it's interesting also to view it from that lens. They don't realize that the party is going to be wrapping up somewhat soon. And I watched, and listeners, I'm going to put this in the uh, the show description for you to take a look at. I watched recently this, this documentary from 1980 from the San Francisco News that every single night it was called Gay, the Gay 80s. Mm-hmm. And it explored the San Francisco gay lifestyle in the early 1980s and all the things that they were uh, have working for them as opposed to against them and how in a couple of years that was going to turn around. But I felt that that was a nice companion piece to uh, Tales of the City, which I which I then I then turned around and watched. So you're you're f- watching these characters over a period of about how many years would you say, Robbie, from that, about 1976 to, to 89? Yeah, I mean through the through those six books. Yeah, they take place in real time. And in fact, the the three books that were written later uh, were written between 2007 to 2014, and they are set in present day. So he's continuing on with these mm-hmm. with these characters and continuing on with this story. And I'm assuming that whatever's happening in the world is going to be impacting the characters, right? Yeah. So it's it, everything is okay. okay. You said something very interesting, which is you said the characters that you root for in the beginning are not necessarily the characters you're rooting for at the end. Can you give me an example of that? Uh, Without being too spoilery, um, Marianne in later installments uh, goes on to become a TV host, like a talk show host, uh, and not a great person. Interesting. And Dee Dee uh, goes on to become a really exceptional, wonderful person in a lesbian relationship. So, mm-hmm. so j- just so our listeners are keeping track, so we have the book in the 70s, and yeah. then there's the miniseries in 93. Yeah, then the a PBS miniseries. Ni- Showtime then picks it up in 98. Mm-hmm. Showtime continues on with it in 2001. Is yes. that right? Mm-hmm. And then Netflix takes it in 2019. Uh, right. So there's obviously something about this story that's keeping people invested over 40 years now in these characters. Truly. And there's, I mean, there's been a musical version of it written by um uh Jeff Witty and um hmm. oh god the scissor sisters i want yeah, to say yeah so so uh, let, Jake Shears maybe so so let me ask you what is it about this these these characters of this story that 40 years later uh, people are still interested in what happens to these these people i think because it's so well written uh and because you can so easily attach yourself to people uh in it you fall in love with these like you fall in love with Marianne Singleton, right? Yes. Which character do you feel is like your spirit animal? Uh um please say I Connie think... Bradshaw, <laughs> played by Parker Posey. I mean, so she's a major plot device in the second series, which is all on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so but no, who is is she really your spirit animal? Uh no. I truly think it would be um Animagical, I think. What is it about her that uh, you you gravitate towards? There's just something about how she sort of walks through life, right? Uh, and there's a bit of mystery. Um, 
but also there's like a kindness that she both the actress and the the role put out mm. and, and uh, that's certainly how i try to live my day-to-day life now olympia dukakis is a fabulous mm-hmm. fabulous actress you know mm-hmm. we know her from moonstruck she had this incredible yeah. stage career but the number of people that were offered the role before it got to her oh my god can we talk about the these people yeah so who who else was up for this role before oh. it got into the brilliant olympia dukakis's hands elizabeth taylor vanessa redgrave diane ladd Anne bancroft and Anne margaret Bancroft was offered the role and said that the part was too poorly written, which is insane. That's, uh, that's I don't know if that's absolutely correct. Yep, I strong usually, disagree. I, I like Anne Bancroft, but this is, uh, this is one of those times I have to disagree with her. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so for you, it's her. Now, you said it's, it's how she lives her life. How does she live her life? Uh, so we're going to say right here that this is a major plot point. And if you haven't watched or listened, turn this episode off and come back to us when you're done. Hmm. Great. Welcome back. (laughs) So Anna Magical um, is an anagram for a man and a girl. Uh, Anna Magical is a transsexual who has transitioned uh, from man to woman and she just lives very openly about that um it's a it's a mystery in the series uh because oh there's a secret there's a secret you don't know right um that i don't think now is such a i didn't i will say i did not see it coming yes because i remember there's a scene with her and laura linney in the pilot where uh, Laura Linney says, what was your, she, she finds out that's not her real name. And she goes, what yeah. is your real name? And, and she says, well, if I want you to know, I wouldn't have changed it. So you automatically start to think something has gone on. I thought maybe, mm-hmm. you know, she had, you know, committed a crime and she was on the run. Um, but to, to find out later on that she's, she's a transgender individual uh, is a, one, a really nice turn of events, but two, mm-hmm. also played beautifully, and delicately and not with all the the punchlines that we had seen from other media at this time. None. Um, and once again, folks, we will talk about this at some point, but please, Disclosure is a fantastic documentary that covers trans representation in the media. Uh, mm-hmm. And you, I think you'll see a little bit further about what we're talking about there. So for you, it's Anna, the great, yeah. the great Olympia Dukakis. And what about you I, as a first timer? As a first timer, I, I'm, I'm going to give an answer that, you know, maybe is not, I don't want to say it's not the right answer, but is an answer that I found, I found myself being surprised that I was finding myself gravitating towards this character. And that was Edgar, uh, the much older, older, mm-hmm. older man who's dying of cancer played yeah. uh, by the great Donald Moffat. Um, mm-hmm. I think we all remember him in Clear and Present Danger. If you don't, he's the, the president yelling and screaming. Um, great performance there. <laughs> um, there's something so noble about his performance and something so lovely about his performance. I, I'm going to be honest with you. When I first started watching it, I thought this is very stylized um, because uh, Laura Linney seems very, very bouncy at the beginning. And then she runs into um, Parker Posey, who also seems kind of affected. And I thought to myself, I said, oh, okay. So it's going to be um, a heightened look. At, at San Francisco in the 1970s. And then as it started to go on, but especially with his performance, I found it was really rooted, rooted in a reality. And I found myself gravitating towards him. And as the episode went on, I started to realize that everyone is going to eventually go into a more realistic playing style. Yeah. So, But he seemed to be leading the charge on that, and that was something I was gravitating towards. And this idea of that he actually has a clock ticking down on him. Everyone else's life is just beginning, right? She's just coming to San Francisco. Everyone is young. Everyone is, uh, you know, in this whole new revolution and his time is wrapping up. So I found that very fascinating and I found myself gravitating towards him a lot as a character. And I know that once we're done with this episode, I'm going to continue watching it to see what else goes on with these characters because I find them to be very engrossing individuals. 
So, and the other series are on YouTube. Okay. Uh, because they're not available streaming otherwise, which is sort of devastating to me. Can you walk me through uh, the controversy that this show ignited? Of course, sure. it's going to be controversial at this time. Now, this was a co-pro between, a co-production between the BBC and PBS. Yes. Am I correct mm-hmm. in that? Yeah, okay. that's correct. So walk us through why this was controversial. So uh, it was supposed to, they were, PBS was going to do all six. Uh, it was a huge hit when it came out. Uh, but uh, there was a TV watchdog group called the American Family Association that called it immoral. And they put together a 12-minute highlight reel that featured every gay kiss, uh, nudity. There's some brief nudity in the in the show. Uh, swearing and drug use. And then presented it to all the members of Congress. PBS uh, freaked out because they thought they weren't going to get their funding um that they immediately canceled uh plans to do any more can you imagine okay listen if you don't like this you know what there's a remote and there's 90 million other channels you can look at so i mean in 93 there were less but yes so you're correct you have 10 other channels you can look at one of them being the golf channel so fuck you, the American Family Association. <laughs> and you know that whoever put together, you know at the, the meeting they were like, all right, well, who's going to put together the reel of all these men kissing? And you know, so, I will. I'll yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some, some little gay guy was like, I'll do it. It's a thin. It's a thin. Nobody come in. Yeah. Locking myself in the bathroom with the VCR. Just laying on top of the Joseph coat. <laughs> yeah. And it was white and white and white and white and white. <laughs> oh, is that the music man? That's, a, <laughs> that's a, if that show ever opens, folks, we'll get Ooh. a big laugh on that one. Um, wow. <laughs> so, so, okay. So the American, so PBS, this was very successful, correct? Mm-hmm. It got wonderful reviews. I think it was listed yeah. as one of the top 10 miniseries of all time. Not by the Entertainment 90s, Weekly. Yeah. Of all time. That's a pretty big pretty big statement to make so there was obviously a need for it there was obviously a hunger for it and pbs got scared that their funding like you said was going to be rescinded and what happens next where does this story go next but so it jumped over like we said earlier uh in 98 to showtime uh for two spinoffs with um with olympia dukakis laura linney and barbara garrick and um william campbell all recreating their roles. And they actually all stayed on through the rest of the run. Um, Others did not, for better or for worse. Uh, And then in 2019, Netflix uh, picked it up and wrote an entirely new thing uh, just for it, also called Tales of the City, um, that I didn't, Love, but I also loved at the same time. What what did you love about it? I loved uh, okay, Elliot Page, um, from Juno. Yes, is spectacular in it, uh, and Victor Garber is very good in it. Um, and there's the moment when it's like Laura Linney returning home, right? Yeah. And uh, there's a moment where Anna Madrigal is up on the balcony of 28 Barbary Lane and they uh, lock eyes for the first time in decades. And I burst into tears spontaneously because it was uh, the, the uh, warmth because that's something Lord Linney does very well. She conveys warmth very well. And Olympia Dukakis is nothing but a warm cup of cocoa, right? Um, and so the two of them locking eyes, uh, brimming with tears and a smile just set me over the edge. Now, of course, I did watch it uh, in pandemic. Of course. Just so, seeing people occupying the same space at the same time. Could what be, a gift. Could be quite moving. So then let me ask you, what were you not over the moon about? Oh, there were, like, there were other things within it, like Ashley Park and someone else 
play a uh they played like um two uh, brother and sister maybe who want to become social media influencers and it's just like we, we that's not needed tell social. the story that's needed <laughs> Are influencers not needed or just this plot line is not needed? That plot line, but also influencers. Like, <laughs> like it can be both things. It can be both things. It can be both things. It can <laughs> be both things. Um, did did uh, Maupin, am I saying it right or am I still saying it wrong? Maupin, but Maupin. Maupin, you say you and I'll say me. Great. Did Armistad... Is that yes. his name? Armistad? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm Who gonna be has his friend a little now. cameo in the first uh in the first uh film. Oh really? Where is he? Yeah. He is uh as the camera pans down Barbary Lane, he is pecking away at a typewriter through a window. Oh what, how cool is that? So well, uh, that maybe this will answer my question, which was how involved was he with the oh writing? My God, so involved. Of the, okay, so it wasn't like, hey, take the stories by, we don't want to see you right. anymore. He's actively mm-hmm. involved in the creation of it. How nice is that to have the writer yeah. involved? Because that is a rarity. That is he was very, rarity. He, I, he's very hands-on with the property. Um, I think with all the properties, really. Now, in my research, and I, maybe you can confirm this for me, that in the early 80s, um, it was looked at as being a possible sitcom that they were going to do a Tales of the City sitcom in the early 1980s. And as the AIDS epidemic sort of increased and homosexuality was looked at as something negative, they decided not to go through with it. So even as early as the 1980s, this show was being looked upon as being a property that could, I mean, this book was look, being looked at as a property that could be adapted into another medium. Yeah, I do wonder... Uh how much the AIDS epidemic killed that. I'm sure it was pretty, pretty significant. Yeah. Because I think, you know, we talked about this on a previous episode, which is something I think important to remember, which was before the AIDS crisis, right after Stonewall and right after the sexual revolution, you started to see some more gay characters appearing on television. You, you had Billy Crystal and Soap. Um, there was a, a TV show with Tony Randall called Love, Sydney, which was starting to take off. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, with the AIDS crisis, that all sort of went away. So I'm wondering how far Tales of the City would have pushed gay acceptance in a positive direction had it not been for well, the and, AIDS crisis. And this was also like, again, as I said, serialized. So it was in the newspaper every day. It was just a part. Now, San Francisco being San Francisco, uh, which is another reason that I was so drawn to it, was um, just seeing how, truthfully, the gay experience was lived at the height of the sexual revolution. Like the underwear party, right? The underwear yes. dance, dance-off. Um, that doesn't exist in three-quarters of the books I read. Uh, it might now, but Armisen Maupin was telling his truth. That's what I think was the main draw for me. And then to see it fully lived in this uh, in this series, it's sensational. Well, you know, I know that this book, these these series of books and these movies mean a lot to you. And I know they mean a lot to our guest for today. Mm-hmm. Robbie, would you tell us who our guest is for today? Uh, I am so thrilled. Our guest is uh, an actor, um, a playwright. He uh, I, he made his off-Broadway debut in the beautiful play Party, which I saw. Uh, and he was sensational in it. Um, he has acted truly everywhere on TV. Um, he is an award-winning playwright who is published by Samuel French. And uh, most recently, you probably caught him on the Encore series uh, on Disney Plus as Theo in Pippin. Also, if you're not watching Encore, you are living your life wrong. Get into Encore. It is my friend, Vin Scatton. Hi, Robbie. It's <laughs> nice to see you, too. God, I haven't seen you... <laughs> I feel like we got together for drinks and then the world shut down. Relatively close to the world shutting down. So I am not saying correlation equals causation, but it does give me pause. Tell me, Vince, how did Tales of the City fall into your life? Well, it fell into my life um, 
from just sitting around, I was uh, probably 23 or 24 living in Chicago. Um, and in fact, I was actually doing party in Chicago pre off Broadway uh, when that uh, mini series was dropping. And of course I'd seen the books on the shelf. I mean, I see it, it would be cited all the time as like a big, a big deal in the gay press or, you know, just as part of the, the gay canon, the books were, but I hadn't read them. Um, but when the miniseries was airing on PBS, it was event television. Um, it was stop everything to watch this. Uh, uh, and so I hadn't read the books yet when that aired. And kind of why I chose it when you asked this question, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the books, which obviously are a bigger, longer thing that extends into a whole universe, but I think why the the miniseries struck me as the correct answer um, was number one that's how I was first exposed to it, but also uh, because it the miniseries speaks to not only the time in which these stories were written and when the story is set, but to when the miniseries got made and released in the United States, um, just in terms of gay cultural history. Um, that is a moment that it is now interesting to me to look back at in terms of what the miniseries itself was as a milestone, uh, not just for the world it depicted, but for the world it was being released into and the world it was made in. I think just to contextualize it, you know, in the late 80s, there was the huge brouhaha around an episode of 30-something where their gay character was in bed. You know, they had two men in bed together post-coital, um, and it was a huge thing in terms of the standards and practices and boycotts and, and debate about the depiction of these two men where they had an entire, the content of the scene, but it was them in bed um, together and they were not allowed to physically touch each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they could act to the scene, but the compromise was they could be in that bed, they could be shirtless, they could not make any physical contact with each other. Um, and Tales of the City comes out, and it is a British production being aired on PBS. We are still, uh, I'm not sure the exact um, timeline instead of, uh, in terms of other debates around, uh, specifically I'm thinking of Melrose Place. Oh yeah, where it would cut away to curtains. But the Melrose Place thing where Doug Savant's character kissed a boy and they cut away from it so that you saw him go in for the kiss. I think there was even audio of a sound or something, yeah. but they cut away to a reaction shot of someone else seeing the kiss. That was um, like a year later. Later, because like one was mm-hmm. 93, one was 94. Uh, I, yeah, that was 94 yeah, I mean, and Tales of the City was 93. Yeah, so, um, but, I'll, but I will say this about Tales of the City. It was 93 is when it was released in England. I don't believe it aired in the United States until 94. But it, there it was in the midst of the United States created TV content, uh, having this kind of debate, like you cannot touch each other. You cannot be seen kissing. Philadelphia, the film had come out in 1993 and there was an enormous conversation uh, in the gay press and gay world about the fact that this groundbreaking movie where Tom Hanks is winning an Oscar playing a gay person um, can't do anything beyond a chaste hug with his hot Spanish boyfriend. Um, and, uh, and this was just in the cultural air around that time about how we were allowed to be depicted. Um, and Tales of the City comes along it's British. It's on PBS. It gives no fucks. It's got naked men all over it. Mm-hmm. It's got boys making out. Um, it's got boobs. I mean, it's just it. And it's sort of blithe about the whole thing. It was so thrilling. It was so thrilling to watch. I was going to ask you, you know, like you said, this is a whole tapestry of humanity that this these stories and this show represents. When you were first watching it, was mm-hmm. there a character that you were inspired by or someone that you looked at and said, yes, that's how I want to live the rest of my life? Well, I mean, look, um, your listeners aren't going to be able to see me and I am middle-aged now, but it, I was 24 years old. I was in a play, a very gay play in which I appeared naked. I have brown hair, brown eyes, brown eyebrows, and, um, and I'm not a tall guy. 
I was a boyish little twink watching Marcus D'Amico play a character named Mouse. And I watched that show and I was like, oh, damn, I would... I would love to have played mouse. <laughs> um, you know, I, and I'm from Kentucky and, you know, I was living in Chicago, which felt enough like Ma- Michael mouse from Florida, moving to San Francisco that mm-hmm. um, uh, I absolutely uh, watched this being like, Oh yeah. The, the self-identification with, with mouse was pretty strong <laughs> at the time. Is there a character now years later that you go, Oh, I think I'm more like this person. I think I am probably, this sounds terrible. This sounds terrible because he's sort of made um, sort of a dreamy, difficult, but dreamily impossible character. But I think there's a lot about Dr. John Fielding I feel a little more like. Um, a How little so? more Well, um, a little more staid and respectable. Um, there's something very fun and free about mouse that you know john is much more buttoned up much more con- I mean, he, he gets caught up in his social circle a little bit um but uh but john repeatedly does the right thing whether it's calling out his a gays friends um finally or um or dealing with beecham god the wretched beecham um um I, you know, I watch John Fielding and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're a good guy. I would like to think I could be, I would be that guy. I mean, mm-hmm. there were things that as I sat down to rewatch this, I, I was like, okay, breathe deep. You loved this at the time. You have not revisited a lot, it, a lot since. There are things that are probably going to be not be so palatable today. Um, I specifically was thinking about how the trans character storyline was handled because i do remember mrs madrigal's trans identity being structured as a mystery plot yeah um and that that i know that 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 can be a harmful way to view um trans narratives um and i think we are a little more sophisticated about how we view those narratives and i don't know that that would be managed the same way today um, watching it again, I was deeply relieved at overall what a tr- tremendously wonderful character that is, how respectfully it's written, um, how much even before the big <gasps> gasp reveal moment comes, how very clear there's a lot of wonderful conversations or moments between Mrs. Madrigal and Mona um, about disclosure. We don't know that's necessarily what they're talking about, but, but where she is asking if Mona has told somebody about her, this character or that character. And Mona is just saying, like, no, because A, they don't care, and B, that's really yours to tell. If it mm-hmm. needs to get told, it should be you. And there's a, there was a refreshing level of like, okay, yeah, I mean, she's a woman with secrets, but she has more secrets than that. And so in a world where we're doing these sort of um, somewhat soapy plot lines with secrets and lies and, and all of that, I felt like, okay, the, the trope of trans people as deceivers uh, does not land as heavily as I feared it might. Um, mm. I'm going to give... Um, I'm going to give, you know, Olympia Dukakis some of the credit for that, but I'm going to give a lot of the credit over to Armstead Maupin, who... Um, who clearly wrote this character uh, based on some real world experience of trans people, not a, an idea of trans people. I feel like that seems very clear. Um, and so some of the more sensational aspects of that uh, don't feel like they're sensationalizing. They feel of a piece with some of the other sensational plot reveals that happen and twists and turns that we take. Right. Um, the Norman the, of it all. The, the, well, yeah. I mean, I feel like the Norman Neil Williams stuff is maybe a little more cringy by 2021 standards mm-hmm. than than how Mrs. Madrigal was handled. Not because Norman Neil is in any way not still the villain, and not because it, what's going on there is not horrifying. It's just it's it just feels a little shocking. Those scenes with Lexi. There was an element of fun to the like ew depravity of it in 1994 1993 Mm -hmm. that now is like oh no i can't i can't 
I have I have trouble even getting over the hump I need to enjoy this as a a plot line. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm more puritanical in my middle age, um, but uh, that that was actually a little more like oh oh yeah oh yeah Norman Neil Williams and mm. the one example of genuine depravity in this story that has a lot of sex of all kinds going on, um, but actual depravity comes from the person who she's drawn to because he is the least like a fairy world around her and reminds her most of home. He -hmm. seems to have traditional values. So, uh, you know, it still is a winner of a a story. It doesn't make me rethink like, ooh, about um, the the writing or the characters or Mr. Mop and what were you thinking? It's just, it's, there's just a tone to everything about Lexi that feels like, we would not handle that the same way now. Um, um, uh, and going back to Beecham, sorry, that yeah. was a long tangent. Back to Beecham, um, you know, the, the bisexual guy is a duplicitous creep. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, there are probably a lot of bi people who in terms of representation today in 2021 who would be like, ugh, ugh, Beecham. <laughs> Like no, we don't. We don't know her. He's not one of us. Because um, uh, he's so awful. He's so not a good person. So awful, yeah. um, but deliciously awful. Um, another a fun thing about watching the series again is how many of those people did go on to bigger, big careers. Truly, um, it was. I was today years old when I realized that Beecham is Greg from Greg yeah. and Dharma. Same. And, and he's on that, I forget which CBS procedural show, but Chicago uh, NCIS. Criminal um, Minds, right? Isn't he Criminal Minds, Minds, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Like, he has had a long and very healthy TV career. Um, they all have. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Paul Gross, uh, just a lovely actor. Um, and, um, and can we talk for a second while we're just going to gay out about this, about mm-hmm. Barbara Garrick, Dee Dee, like that is the person who listen. Uh, she has worked. She's not like you know. She's not out panhandling. She doesn't need my pity. I just <laughs> I watch this again, and I am struck to my bones with how great her performance is. Um, mm-hmm. Barbara Garrick as Dee Dee Halcyon is just amazing, and. And Dee Dee is a complicated character for whom we feel a lot of things and not all of them are sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, over the course of the story, she becomes more and more so. Um, That's what I was telling but, Rob because, so Rob is new to the Tales of the City <gasps> world. Know. Can you imagine just viewing it for the first time? How lucky is that human? Oh How my God. Lucky. Oh so my God. <laughs> only seen this series. He does not know everything that's about to happen. No. To so Healthy you don't Day. know more. You don't know more. You don't know further. You don't know any of that. No. I don't. I don't. But oh, all new to me. Oh. Yeah. Oh, right. and so, I mean, that's, you know, the other thing. And again, when I talk about um, citing this as being a part of the canon um, and the miniseries specifically because of the two time periods when it's, set and when it is was made to have that first series all be in the 70s pre-aids and to be released in the early 90s when we were in the thick of it um we were still a good two years away from the retroviral cocktails um two to three i mean i later found out that i knew people who were in like trial drug trials in like 95 but but this is still an impossible future. That is not something we could see coming. And no, we were so just, we were just coming out of the Bush uh, senior presidency. Um, yes, yes, we were. So twelve years of garbage on top of garbage. Yeah, uh, and so watching this sort of like golden era before before the shit went down, mm-hmm. watching it in the thick. Part, thick part of the shit um, and knowing what's coming um, and you know I've got to be careful around Rob about spoilers but you know Rob's an intelligent human being with some yeah. sense of history mm-hmm. that, you know he knows that they that don't all make it of, Rob I, I, would, ass- of I would assume <laughs> yeah. I would assume 
you know, like it's you there. just watched it's a sin. They don't all make it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but 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 back, but but there are other there are other swords of Damocles hanging over some of these characters besides just that one. Yeah. Right. And there is a single line at the end of More Tales of the City that specifically involves BB that was one of the most horrifying things I when I finished that book because I immediately consumed all the books after the first series came out. And it was years and years before they made mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the TV adaptation of More Tales of the City. So I had plenty of time to re- tear through those books before there was another television depiction. And there is a thing that gets said about Dee Dee at the end of the second book that made my just just my heart in my throat, just my stomach just sank um, because she gets caught up in something that she doesn't know is horrifying but it's horrifying like our knowledge of history um uh we're ahead of those characters and something happens to her um and then of course because he's him he has plot twists on top of the plot twists um that that take it in many many other and further directions but uh the places Didi will go are so um there are ways in which many of the other characters I love, um, you know, Marion being one of them, you know, the map of where she ends up yeah, right? is That's the end of the original six books is devastating in terms of Marianne. Um, not because of anything that happens to her, but because of choices she makes. And, um, and they are, what I love about the writing of it is that they are there from day one. They are there from page one. Um, the story of who she is, um, is she is, how do I say this? Um, it's things that happen are both unexpected and entirely, entirely inevitable. Um, Didi goes places where you would never expect. And over the three series that they, the, 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 the series they made of the three first three books, um, Barbara Garrick rises to every challenge. And I know we're really just focused on the first one, but even within that, I just think her performance she's giving is just amazing. Um, so gentlemen, let me ask you as, as a newbie, should I continue watching the series or should I read the books first and then go to the series? I mean, listen, Rob, I'm going to tell you to do this because this is what I did. I saw the miniseries, then I read the book, then I read all the next books. And, you know, so naturally that is the way I think they're best experienced. Got it. Okay. You could get the audiobooks. Right. I mean, you're basically right at that moment that I was after having watched the series. So I'm like, well, read them and then watch the new series. And then, you know what I mean? um, I, uh, I might go into the Vince trajectory here and see what honestly, happens. Truly, like, but you could also get on the treadmill and listen to Francis <laughs> McDormand, Cynthia Nixon. Uh, oh my uh, God! Uh, Kate Mulgrew, wow. Ellen Cumming, um, they, Eric McCormick, wonderful people have read these books. Or Armistead Moffin also has a narration of them all as well. So. Wow. Dealer's choice, honestly. I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to jump in. So, Vince, let let me ask you, because it's something we ask all of our guests, which is, you know, there's a whole bunch of people out there who are, you know, much younger. They probably have no idea this even exists. Thank you so Um, much. (laughs) How dare you? Right into my Zoom lens when you said that. Why why is it important, Vince, for uh, people of our community to either read these books or to watch the movie? Why is that a necessity? That, that, that it is a, a portrait of who we are and who mm-hmm. we were at a time when we were not mainstream at all. Um, you know, we have become very mainstream and, it, you know, the Overton window has moved in a lot of ways to our advantage. And, um, and I think it's important to, I think it's important for, for younger people to, to see where we were coming from mm-hmm. when we started to break through, because I think the books broke through. I think non-gay people read those books, and I think a lot of non-gay people saw the miniseries, and I because it was a PBS offering. You know what I mean? Like it was respectable TV, and it had naked men 
who were having sex with each other. And, um, um, and uh, I mean, it moved the needle. And I think that's important to recognize. And I think it's, it's not just nice to see it cited as a thing that moved the needle, but I think it's important for younger people to look at it so that they can understand how and why it moved the needle. I love that he sort of created like the Marvel Cinematic Universe of homosexuality. <laughs> Listen, there, the, the, in, in that original miniseries, there's a, they don't call them this on, in the TV show, but in the books, they're called the A-gays, with quotes yeah. around the letter A. And, um, you know, it's this coven of elite, wealthy, middle-aged homosexuals who Mouse gets dragged along to, to fancy dinner and cocktail parties mm-hmm. at their houses. And the casting of oh the A-gays is beyond, oh, beyond. Uh, Bob it, Mackey. Well, you, I mean, Bob Mackey, Ian McKellen, mm-hmm. Paul Bartel, and um, uh, 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 oh, Kevin Sessoms, who at the time was just was a working actor, from what I understand, but is now like Kevin Sessoms is somebody who is probably bigger now that he was probably sitting in that room of those queens, being like, "What am I doing here?" But now, <laughs> like now, he has earned his seat at that table. Um, uh, but it is the casting of that group of of people is its own marvelous in joke um in 1993-94 vince i cannot tell you how much we appreciate you coming in today and joining us and sharing your absolute love of this wonderful wonderful series thank you this was just a the conversation was a delight but also you know just getting a chance to revisit this and to sort of look Mm -hmm. back at 24 year old me and being like "Ooh, wonderful vince thank you so much thank you so rob that was our sensational guest, Vince. I'm in love with Vince. <laughs> Same. Have been since 1980. It's fine. Everything's fine, Vince. <laughs> I'm not stalking you. Um, now, next week, yes. what are we doing next week? We are going to go visit. You often hear me say every gay movie that I saw uh, was about AIDS until the film Trick. And so I want to go and revisit the film Trick. Uh, which is Christian Campbell, Tori Spelling, J.P. Pittock, uh, and uh, Miss Coco Peru in a genius monologue. Robbie, well, tell us about where people can find us on social media. So you can follow us at G Revoked on Twitter and Instagram and Gay Card Revoked on uh, Facebook. I was trying to think of what the third social media was because I just... Social media gives me nerves. Facebook, you're so good at it. Facebook, Twitter, Insta. Uh Uh-huh. And um, we can slide into Robbie's OnlyFans. um, Yeah, where where you can watch me eat a hoagie while I listen to Ethel Merman sing The Impossible Dream. I I have to go. I need some alone time now. What a gift. That excited Uh, me too much. (laughs) So, So, folks, we hope you stay safe. We hope you stay healthy. Take a look at Trick. And no matter what, go and go on the journey with me. And let's take a look at Tales of the City together. This has been great. All right, folks. Till next time. Bye. 